0: Carol Gold.
1: Hi, it is Sunday, December 31st. I'm Carol Gold, and welcome to Think for Yourself. As the clock ticks down and we approach the end of 2023, I've been thinking about what 2024 may look like. And I think it's pretty indisputable that what will suck most of the air out of news in 2024, at least through November, is the presidential election. Now that's obviously acknowledging there are foreign affairs issues that are very critical, such as what's going on in the Middle East. But domestically, it's definitely going to be the election. And more narrowly, it's going to be all about the Democrat and the left's attempt to keep the lead Republican likely presidential nominee, Donald Trump, off of the ballot. So, I'm going to do something I rarely, if ever, have done on this podcast, which is I'm going to go full lawyer on you. (laughs) I want to look at two things because I'd like you, as a, a voter and as a consumer of news, and as a voter if you live in the United States, and if you don't, then someone who watches how a constitutional republic operates, I'd like to look at the two arguments that are being made about how and why Donald Trump should not be on the ballot. So the first argument is the 14th Amendment. They are trying to keep Trump off of the ballot under the 14th Amendment, which was drafted and passed in 1868, particularly Section 3. And what I want to do is break it down for you to very simple terms, because we hear bits and pieces of this in the news, depending on who we listen to, left or right, and we hear excerpts, in other words, from the amendment itself and the relevant section, but we don't always hear it all within context. So let me give it to you. First, I want to read you Section 3, and then I'm going to break it down into four parts, and I'm going to address each one of those parts so you understand exactly whether or not the 14th Amendment, Section 3, can be used to keep Donald Trump off of the ballot in November. Okay, here we go. Here is the 14th Amendment, Section 3. No person shall become a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president, or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath, as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States who shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability. Okay, easy to get caught up in all of that and say, what in the world does that mean? So let me break it down into four parts. The first part of Section 3 is the jurisdictional part. The jurisdictional part specifies which positions, meaning service in the government, which positions are subject to to Section 3. So it says, quote, a person who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as any member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States, and it goes on. Okay, so the key phrase in there that the left and the Democrats are attempting to hold Trump's feet to the fire on, the phrase is, as an officer of the United States, they are claiming that Donald Trump is an officer of the United States. Let me address that particular allegation, or in the case of the Democrats and the left, that particular hope. Because if He's an officer of the court, then he satisfies the jurisdictional portion of Section 3. Well, to know if he's an officer of the court, I'm going to go back to the original Articles of the Constitution. There were seven of them. It was written and passed in 1778. Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution is called the Appointments Clause. And the appointments clause spells out with clarity that the president can nominate, quote, ambassadors, other public ministers and consuls, judges of the Supreme Court, and all other officers of the United States. There it is, officers of the United States. So when the founders and the drafters wrote the original seven articles, they said, that the president could appoint all other officers of the United States that weren't named in that Section 2 of Article 2. Well, guess what? In 2010, the current Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Chief Justice Roberts, wrote in the decision called Free Enterprise Fund versus Public Company Accounting Oversight Board. He wrote the following in a discussion on the scope of the Constitution's, quote, Officers of the United States language. And here's what Roberts said in 2010. The people do not vote for the Officers of the United States. Rather, Officers of the United States are appointed exclusively pursuant to Article 2, Section 2 Procedures it follows that the president who is an elected official is not an officer of the United States." End quote. So I think when push comes to shove, and this gets before the current Supreme Court, the current Chief Justice now has to, if he wants to change his mind, figure out a way to undo or override What he said in 2010 because he himself said that the president who is elected is not an officer of the United States because an officer of the United States is appointed by the president so the president is not an officer he's elected he's not appointed those people who are advocating for section 3 of the 14th amendment they need to find some authority for claiming that Trump is an officer or the office of the president is an officer of the United States. That is how I explain to you what an officer of the United States is as it is mentioned in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Remember, this is what they're using to try to keep Trump off the ballot. They've tried in Colorado and they've tried in Maine. The second part Of Section 3, because remember, I said I'd break it down into four parts. The first part is the jurisdictional element, and that is you have to be an officer of the court, an officer of the United States, rather. The second portion of that paragraph that I read at the opening of the podcast, the second section of, or subsection, I guess I would call it, of Section 3 is the offense element. The offense element defines the conduct that Section 3 prohibits. It regulates the conduct of a person who satisfies the first section, the jurisdictional section, okay? And what it says in section, or in in subsection 2 is, as I'm breaking it down, it's a person who shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same meaning against the government, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof, end quote. So someone has to have committed an insurrection or a rebellion, and they have to have been qualified under the first part. They have to be an officer of the United States first, and then insurrection or rebellion. Well, here's the problem for the second subsection, insurrection or rebellion. Donald Trump has not been charged with either. He's not been charged or convicted. No one's been charged of insurrection for January 6th because there was no insurrection by definition. There was a riot, there was a rally, things got out of hand, people broke the law, but there was no insurrection. And actually a minority of people broke the law compared to how many people were there that day. So now we have the president who is not an officer of the United States and we have someone who has not committed an insurrection or a rebellion. Now we get to the third subsection of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. It's the disqualification element and it defines the legal consequences or the punishment that Section 3 provides for a person who, and stay with me here, for a person who satisfies the jurisdictional and the offense elements. So in order for the third section, which is how you get disqualified to apply to you, you have to have been an officer of the United States, and you had to have committed insurrection or rebellion. And the disqualification element is, that that person shall not be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state. So admittedly, if Trump were an officer of the United States and he had committed and been found guilty of insurrection, he could be disqualified from running for president under the third subsection— but he doesn't fit either one of the first two criteria the jurisdictional element or the offense element now the fourth subset of section 3 is the amnesty or removal element what that means is it says that congress can remove the disqualification or the disability meaning if someone has been found to have been to have qualified under the above two criteria, subsection one and subsection two, as I broke them down for you, then the Congress, by a vote of two-thirds from each House, the Senate and the House, could remove their disqualification, okay? Just going to recap real fast, because I want to move on to something else. The 14th Amendment, which was passed in 1868, for Section 3 to apply in order to disqualify Trump or anybody else for President of the United States... They will first have to have been an officer of the United States. They will have to have committed insurrection or rebellion. And if they did both of those, they could be prohibited from running. And yet Congress could, after all of that, by a vote of two-thirds of both houses, remove the disqualification. On Friday the website Politico, wrote an article and said that activists and voters have filed numerous lawsuits around the country claiming that Trump is barred from office under the 14th Amendment's insurrection clause. And I told you what that clause is. You have to have engaged in insurrection or rebellion after taking an oath to support the Constitution. He has not been charged with or convicted of either. But here's the most interesting part of all of this. Politico said several states, and we know Maine and Colorado for sure, some others will follow shortly, probably, they're making the case that he's ineligible under the 14th Amendment that I've just laid out for you. But here's the thing. They're all focused on Section 3. Section 3 is what you and I just went over. But there's a section five, (laughs) right after section four, there's a section five of the same 14th Amendment. And here's what it says The Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. The Congress shall have the power to enforce this article. It's the enforcement clause of the 14th Amendment. The Congress can enforce Section 3, not a state legislature, not a state court, not a secretary of state. This is what has happened in Colorado and in Maine. They don't have the authority to impose and make a determination that takes someone off the ballot based on the 14th amendment, because the 14th amendment gives that power only to Congress. And here's something else that the 14th amendment does. It provides modes of redress, meaning remedies against the operation of state laws and the action of state officers, whether they are executive or judicial, when they are subversive of the fundamental rights that are specified in the 14th Amendment. You understand this? This is saying that the amendment itself gives to the federal government modes of remedying, basically states, whether they're the executive officers or the judicial officers, from Running amok as they've just done in Colorado and in Maine. Let me make one more point about looking to Article 2 of the Constitution for the definition of what is an officer of the court. There are those who are arguing now and trying to keep Trump off the ballot that between the ratification of the Constitution in 1778, which was Article 2, right? What defines an officer, and almost 100 years later, 1876, when the 14th Amendment was passed that we just went over in detail, right, the 14th Amendment, two sections that are relevant that don't apply to Trump because he's not an officer of the court and he didn't commit insurrection, they are making the argument that the definition of what was an officer of the United States in those 100 years changed it kind of morphed into something other than what it says in Article 2. But there's a problem with that argument itself, and it's this. In 1888, which is a decade after the passage of the 14th Amendment, in 1888, in a case called the United States versus Moat, Justice Samuel Miller interpreted a statute that used the phrase officers of the United States. And here's what he wrote. Quote, Unless a person in the service of the government holds his place by virtue of an appointment by the president or of one of the courts of justice or heads of departments authorized by law to make such an appointment, he is not, strictly speaking, an officer of the United States. End quote. So Miller's opinion that was drafted a decade after the 14th Amendment was ratified is actually an indication, some evidence, that the original public meaning of Section 3's Officer of the United States is in fact still the understanding after passage of the 14th Amendment. So that argument that in those hundred years, what was called an officer or defined as an officer of the United States in Article II of the Constitution had changed and morphed into something other that was broader and more likely to apply to someone who's making an argument, such as the one being made to keep Trump off the ballot. Ultimately, I go back to this. I go back to the 2010 opinion written by the current Chief Justice of the United States, Roberts, in that Free Enterprise Fund versus Public Company Accounting Oversight Board case, where he is discussing, as I said earlier, the scope of the Constitution's officers of the United States language. And realize this, he's discussing the Constitution's definition, okay? And I just told you they're arguing, they who want Trump off the ballot, they're arguing that, well, yeah, but after the Constitution was passed, 100 years later when the 14th Amendment was passed, that definition changed. Well, in 2010, Roberts said, quote, the people do not vote for officers of the United States, And quote. Rather, quote, officers of the United States are appointed exclusively pursuant to Article 2, Section 2. And those procedures are that the president, who is an elected official, is not an officer of the United States. I think it's going to be a very interesting year. As a lawyer, of course, I'm fascinated by all of this. But as a citizen, and the reason I went through all of this with you, and thank you for hanging in, because I realize it's taxing on the brain to look at, with a microscope, this language. But as a citizen, myself and you, or as simply a citizen of the world and a follower of how a constitutional republic operates, it is critical that we get this right because you can't just throw out what you don't like because it's inconvenient. That's not how a constitutional republic works. It's not how a country that exists by nature of fundamental laws that govern everyone's behavior and are founded in its founding documents and the documents that have flowed from it and the legal precedent that has flowed from it. That's not how it operates. It's very important that we get this right, because it's not just about Donald Trump, although it is for those trying to remove him. It is just about Donald Trump for them. For the rest of us, it's about integrity, truth, law-abiding findings, and the behavior that flows from them, and it's actually about the future of the United States, Because if we begin to hack away at our foundational documents that have made us the most unique, greatest nation ever to exist on the planet, certainly in terms of the contributions that the freedom within the United States has allowed us to make in almost every sector of society and culture, if we allow the chipping away at that, then we fall. And if we fall, there is nowhere else for the world to go because the rest of the world is existing on a foundation that is much weaker than the one on which you and I now stand as citizens of the United States. I wish each and every one of you a Happy New Year, but more than anything, I wish 2024 to be a year of integrity, a year of safety, and a year of the highest good, for all concerned. Thanks for listening. I'm Carol Gold, I'll be back here again in 2024. Happy New Year.
0: Carol thanks you for spending your valuable time with her. It is her mission to empower you to remember how smart and capable you are. Be sure to check out Carol's website, carolgold.com. That's Carol with an E, gold.com. Please leave a review and subscribe here so you'll be alerted to Carol's next podcast. Until then, above all else, remember, it's time to think for yourself.